how many of you have yet to put away all of your Christmas decorations? Okay. Uh, you know, hey, no judgment. Because there's really three types of people. There, there are people who uh, they celebrate Christmas on the 25th and maybe 26th, 27th, they start putting everything away. There's a lot of us that wait till January 1st. Okay, the New Year's hits. We have New Year's Day. Day after, we start putting everything away. And then you're like the Skimbreeze, uh, which is the third group. You, uh, we still have ornaments uh, all over our, our house uh, waiting to be put away. We did the tree. We finally got the tree done, which was awesome. Uh, but we're still waiting to do that. Now, some of you do that because you want to milk it out uh, a little bit more of that Christmas spirit out of the season. Be honest, most of us do it just because we're too busy doing other things or we're just somewhat lazy. Uh, Has anybody waited till February to put their Christmas? Yep, okay. Uh, You're that type of person. (laughs) We don't want to move on. But there is, it's sad. There's there's a time to start packing everything back up, to to move on, to to put the stockings away, to put the tree away, uh, to put all the decorations away, your wreaths away all of that stuff, and to start working into the spring, winter and spring. But, but here's what I want to caution you to, to not do. Don't pack up this idea of Jesus as king. Don't pack up this idea of Jesus as king. We talked a lot about Jesus as king in the first two chapters of Matthew. We talked about the son of David, the, the coming ruler and king spoken of Isaiah and Malachi. Really, the first two chapters of Matthew is Matthew declaring Jesus is king. The king is here. He threatens the kingship of of Herod. Jesus is king. I don't want to pack up this idea only to talk about it again next Christmas. And In fact, I want it to be something that we carry out through all this year, 2023. And I want to argue that if you truly live seeing Jesus as king, it will greatly change everything about you. It'll change your life, your mission, how you view your resources, your money, your prayer life, how you treat others how you love your your families. If you view Jesus as king, it will shape those things. Turn to Mark 1. Mark is right after Matthew. It's the second gospel. In Mark 1, Jesus comes onto the scene, and these are the very first words he speaks in Mark. So go to Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. These are the first words of Jesus in Mark's gospel. The kingdom is is at hand. This is a popular term in in the Gospels, the root word for kingdom. It appears 180 times in the Gospels. So if we're going to talk about Jesus as king, 
We need to understand what kingdom means. We need, kingdom, it's an important term that we, we have to unpack historically. And we talked about this a little bit in Matthew 1 and 2. At the time of Jesus' arrival, Israel was under the oppressive rule of Rome. Most of the Jews, God's people, were peasants. They were taxed into poverty. Two-thirds of their land had been taken. Unemployment rates were high. But many had the promise of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, even though this wasn't a good time for God's people. We read this in our Christmas series, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Jesus comes onto the scene and Mark and the first words out of, our, out of his mouth is this kingdom is here. And so let's just define kingdom for the sake of our discussion. This is a, a big term and I'm going to really simplify it down in just a, just a few words. I know it's a rich term, but for just us today, the kingdom of God is God's redemptive rule and reign. It's God's redemptive rule and reign. It began with Jesus and will culminate when Christ returns. And somewhat of a, uh, a challenging topic to talk about. It's an already, the kingdom has already been inaugurated with Jesus coming, but it's, it has yet to come in full. One day it will be here in full. So, the rule and reign of Christ has broken into this age. And one day he will rule and reign over all creation, over all peoples. His kingdom will be consummated. So it's an already but not yet kingdom. Jesus will come back and under his rule, all things will be set right. On the other hand, if we look at the way Jesus speaks, his kingdom has already arrived. He says in Luke, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In Romans, Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God began like a mustard seed. It's, it's presently growing. The kingdom is here in part today wherever God rules and reigns. And when we see spirit-driven mercy, joy, justice, forgiveness, sacrificial love, freedom from sin, grace, when people submit to the rule and reign of God, we see the kingdom manifest. And one day, that kingdom will come in full. Jesus, Jesus is king. His kingdom has arrived. And you and I can enter into that kingdom. Turn to John 3. 
One of the most famous chapters in the Bible. John 3. We're in Matthew, Mark. It's the book right after Mark. I'm sorry, you have Luke, then you have John. We know Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a teacher. He comes to find Jesus at night. This Pharisee, this, this ruler of the Jews. Look at John 3, verses 1 through 3. Now, there, there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus kind of shifts the conversation a little bit. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this, if you read the rest of this, Nicodemus is like, I've already been born once. I mean, like, this is getting weird. How, how, how does this work out? And Jesus kind of clarifies this. And then we get the most famous passage or verse in all of scripture. Football, you know, Tim Tebow painting on his face. Uh, people holding up at signs in baseball games. It's John three sixteen. Everybody say it with me. For God so loved the world... Somebody said begotten. That's showing your age a little bit when you memorized it. It's only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So to be born again, to enter into eternal life, to enter into and see the kingdom of God, we must believe. We must put our faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You enter into that kingdom of which Jesus is king through faith. Other, other kingdoms require a lot for you to enter it. Think about the U.S. I mean, I, I'd want to become a U.S. citizen. I mean, we, we fry a lot of different foods. <laughs> we have professional wrestling, freedom, I mean, so it's a good place to live, but do you know how hard it is to become a U.S. citizen? It takes a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of work. Generally, you have to live in the United States for three to five years. You need a visa. You need to be able to read, write, and speak English, which a lot of us don't know how to do. <laughs> the amount of forms. Uh, we have an English teacher in here. She's teaching high school students. Uh, <laughs> I've seen some of their papers. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, the amount of forms you fill out are so complex, you must hire an attorney to keep track. 5,000 to 15,000 different forms. Application forms, historical forms, naturalization forms, permanent resident forms. If you commit a crime, you're most likely done. You must have a basic knowledge of U.S. history and government by passing a civics test that most Americans would fail. And what year was the Constitution written? Ooh, ooh, getting a little slow there, guys. I heard, who said what? 1717? 1787. Give this gentleman a round of applause. <laughs> I, uh, most of you are like, sometime uh, Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> to get in the U.S., it takes time, money, energy, and great effort. It takes work. 
Jesus says to enter God's kingdom, to be a citizen of, in God's kingdom, you need to put your faith in me. Jesus says, I'll do all the work for you. I'll fill out the paperwork. I will pay the price. I will pay that costly price. I'll put in the work, blood, sweat, and tears. I will live the perfect life. I will suffer death for sin. I will rise. I will do the work for you so that you can have eternal life in the kingdom of God. We are called to believe in him and his work on the cross on our behalf. We are born into the kingdom of God through faith. And then our king gives his kingdom citizens, you and I in Christ, a different way to live. Some of you may be you know, Filipino background, Spanish. You may hail from Russia. You know, if you're lucky, you may be Italian, uh, God's other chosen people. <laughs> Some of you may have dual citizenship. But if you're in Christ, your primary citizenship is in God's kingdom. You are a kingdom citizen before you are a United States citizen. Look at Colossians 1.13. You can turn there. I'll read it. But he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to be the kingdom, to be in the kingdom of his beloved son. Ephesians 2.19 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. Citizenship in any other country comes with certain cultural expectations or norms or are ways to live. So if you're a citizen of, of the United States, you just do certain things. You, know, you drive big cars and, uh, you know, you, you tend to work a lot. Um, uh, you know, there, there's just cultural customs. You know, they say uh, if, if, when, when Americans go to other countries, they, they, they tend to be louder talkers and they, they tip a lot because it's just normal in the United States to, to tip. It's kind of what we do. In other countries like South America, if you arrive on time to a scheduled event, it's actually considered rude. You're supposed to arrive 15 to 20 minutes later. So on Sunday mornings, I'm wondering if some of you are South Americans. <laughs> oh, is that too mean? <laughs> uh, I was told, don't slurp your, slurp your noodles. You know, don't, don't make noises when you eat. In Asian countries, it's encouraged, slurp your noodles. It's a sign that you are enjoying your meal. It, it's, a, it's a thank you to the one who, who cooked the meal. In Spain, every day, they shut everything down for two hours in the afternoon. And they have what's called a siesta for you to rest. Oh, Let's adopt that. Let's show up to church on time. Take a nap later. Mandatory nap. Siesta time, baby. I, I love you. Siesta time. What are the things that separate God's citizens from, from other kingdoms, culture, practices of, of this world? Like if the kingdom of God was an actual country today, what sort of things would, would set them apart as different? I think we find part of our answer in the, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're, we're not going to 
read through the Sermon on the Mount right now. We're actually going to take most of our spring to work through it. And we're going to start next week. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, it's a primer for kingdom living. It's Jesus saying, this is what it looks like to live culturally like a kingdom citizen. To live under God's rule and reign. And here's here just some highlights for you. It involves humility, not pride. Mercy, not selfishness. Peacemaking, not vengeance. We are to love our enemies, not hate them. Generosity, uh, we're, we're to show, not hoarding. Inward holiness, not external spirituality that's flashy. Trust, not anxiety. Persistent prayer, not persistent worrying. Authenticity, not hypocrisy. This kingdom that we are to make manifest, that we are to display in the here and now is radically different from any other kingdom on this planet. Imagine flying to such a place and seeing such things. You'd want to stay there. And one day, in Christ you will. (laughs) But today we're called to display this kingdom. God's reign and rule in our very lives, individually and collectively. We are to live out our very lives as, as citizens of this kingdom where selfishness, pride, and vanity give way to selflessness, humility, and authenticity because guess what? We love our king because we have been made new and we are citizens of a different country with a good king who is just righteous and merciful. We're to manifest a kingdom culture. So understanding the kingdom of God and the kingship of Jesus should change everything about us. The way you interact with others. Do people know that Jesus is king? The way you engage the lost. The way you live in your neighborhood. The way you parent your kids and share the gospel. It's not an idea to be put away this season, but, but something to turn our attention to on a daily basis. So, so if you know Jesus day in and day out, remind yourself that he is your king. And I, I, don't, I don't know what you need to do to, to remind yourself of that. Maybe, that. maybe it is, hey, this year I'm going to wake up every morning and sit in prayer and just worship my king and acknowledge his sovereignty and rule over my life. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my King. I submit myself to him in all areas. Maybe you need a bracelet, just to remind you, the old school WWJD, you know, H-I-M-K. He is my King. Just something along those lines. Maybe you need a picture that's sitting on your desk that you can look at. Maybe after church today, we all get tattoos that say he is, is king. Um, Peyton, you're going to pay for it all? <laughs> uh, that'd be awesome. I'd love to see Greg in just a full sleeve. Um, and then like a bun back here, skinny jeans. We're going to do a makeover, Greg. I, I, I don't know what you need to do to remind yourself that he is king, but I do think it believes begins with asking the Spirit to just um, continually come in your heart and reveal that truth to you on a daily basis. If you don't know Jesus, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Put down the pen and paper. You, you don't have enough money. <laughs> you don't have enough time. 
You don't have enough energy to, to gain entrance into the kingdom. We all fall short. Trust in the work that Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. He has done all the work for you. Put your faith and trust in him, his work on the cross, his blood shed for your sins so that you could be born again, made new, into a child of God, into his kingdom where he reigns and rules. And then, then, begin to submit yourself fully in all ways, in all areas. Grow in that day in and day out. What does it look like to, to submit my, my temper, my, the way I speak, the way I spend my money, the way I do all these different things? What does it look like to submit all of these things to my king? It's not the other way around. It's not I got to figure out all these things first, then put my faith in Christ. We enter his kingdom, then we live his kingdom citizens. This year, we as a church are going to seek to live in light of, of our king and his kingdom. We're going to work through Matthew's five discourses throughout this year. So there are five major sermons in Matthew. And so for the next 365 days, we're going to break down each sermon. <laughs> we're going to call it the king's speech. <laughs> what our king wants us to know about who we are and what we're called to do and who he is and what he has done for us and what he is doing for us. We're going to be looking at the King's Speech, five different sermon series. And in between those, we're going to look at a few different things. We're going to look at how his, this kingdom-minded perspective will shape our prayer life. We're going to talk about prayer for a few weeks this year. If God is king, it'll shape our prayer life. We'll go beyond just asking God for things. For many of us, God's just a vending machine. I need this, and prayer's me pressing the buttons. But if God is king, will not much of our prayer life involve praising him, worshiping him, seeking his will, submitting ourselves to him? It's going to change the way we do missions. We're going to do a sermon series on missions. At the end of Matthew, the gospel that began with him as king, he says, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. We've been given a kingly mandate. The king has asked us to do something. We have a job and purpose on this planet. And it's to go and, and make disciples. We're going to filter our money through this, this picture of Jesus. Jesus as king. Because guess what? It all belongs to him. <laughs> it's his kingdom. So, so how do we steward the money and the resources that are, that are his? We won't just study these things. We're, we're going to seek as a church to live in, in light of them. For example, with missions and money, we have always looked at ourselves as a mission to be supported. So this is a missionary endeavor. Central Bible Church. There are people outside of this church who support us. You met some of them last week. They give us a, a lot of money. So does Creekside. So do other just individuals. They, they support us. I've always looked at it. Hey, we're a missionary organization. We're a missions organization. So people can support us. 
until we get on our feet. Maybe when we get on our feet and we're self-sustaining. Maybe when we, we have enough financially, uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll give 10%, like we call everybody else to do. But, but until that happens, you know, we may give a little bit here, a, a little bit there, uh, but, but we're, we as a church are not going to do that because it kind of puts us in a precarious place. We are going to step out in faith and trust our king this year. We're shifting our budget. So if I start wearing really terrible clothes, just remember, we're shifting our, I shop at Kohl's, it's cheap. We're shifting our budget this year. We are going to start, even though we are not a self-sustaining church, and I want to get there, trust me, I want to get there. Even though we're not a self-sustaining church, we're, we're going to start giving 10% to missions. Because our king has, has given us a mandate, go and make disciples. And we're going to do that collectively here, and we're going to support people doing that all over the world. And so it's going to be 10%, it's going to start at 10%, it's going to grow. And it's going to grow. And guess what? That scares me a little bit. But guess what? We've been called to do that, and fear should not stop me. Furthermore, looking at my resources, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. So we're going to trust this year that if we live in light of his kingship and what he calls us to, our good king is, is, is going to provide for us what we need to step forward as a church. Missions, generosity are going are to change this year at Central Bible Church. Furthermore, our, our prayer life is, is going to change. We're going to regularly take time to acknowledge God's kingship, just, just to worship him to come before him and, and as a church, not ask him for anything. God, God wants you to ask him for things. I'm not saying don't do that. But don't just do that. He wants us to praise him and worship him and honor him. We're going to take time to do that in our, in our prayer lives. And, 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 I, and I bet if, if you're honest, you'll say, man, that's not even part of my prayer life. That's maybe also why you may be frustrated in your prayer life. Because you're really not praising him, worshiping, and honoring him. He's just a magic genie that you want to get things out of. And so our prayer life is going to shift because he's king. Because he deserves our worship. And if, if understanding that he is king, understanding that his kingdom has already arrived and we are citizens of that kingdom, if it, if it changes us individually, it should change everything about us as a church.